0: God, we do remember you. God, we need the gospel every day. It's just when we we wake in the morning, God, may that be the, the forefront of our minds. That we get up because of you, we go out because of you, we do the mundane for your glory. God, we can do that because of Christ. We've come under His wing. And God, when you look down at us, you don't see our sin. You see the beauty of your Son and His perfectness. You see the perfect Lamb that was slain for us. God, may that be our identity first through Christ and then how you've wired us. May we embrace how you've wired us for your glory. But may our identity be in you. God, thank you for the blood of Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.
1: And you may be seated. Mm -hmm. And at this time, our elementary and preschool little ones can be dismissed across the hall to their classes. And while they are doing that, if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30. We'll begin in verse 25 in just a moment. Um, thank you, Pav and Chad. Please. And that's correct. Remembrance does lead to worship. And that's why we... Spend time remembering what God has done. That's why we spend time looking through His Word and uh, remembering His goodness. There is an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along. If you don't have one, Bo will be happy to hand you one here shortly. We are in the middle of a series called Wrestling with the Rock. We're looking at the life of Jacob and how so many characters in this story are wrestling, on the surface it appears, with one another. On the surface it appears wrestling with themselves, but in reality, they are wrestling with God. Uh, and what should that should remind us about, or, in, or teach us about, is ultimately when we think that we're wrestling with life, we're wrestling with other people and, and how they treat us, or how events have somehow been unfair to us. Ultimately, we're wrestling with, with God. So follow along as I read verses 25-43. through 43. While I'm reading, I'd like for you to look for a couple of things. There is a difference between acknowledging God and relying on God. And God, though... This may be hard to find. God, not trickery or magic, is what brings blessings. Now it came about when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages, and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen." Laban said, Good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks and the gutters, even the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutter so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and ultimately our wills as we look at your word this morning that we might... Not only understand Your truth, but be willing to follow along and do it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Repetition. Some of you hear the same thing over and over again. It, it might be, uh, clean your room. It might be an annoying commercial on television. If you don't hear the same thing over and over again, just wait a few months as 2012 rolls around and you spend any time at all in front of a television or a radio, I promise you you will hear the same politician say the same thing over and over again. Why? Because repetition works. It may annoy you. You may not, you may not follow along, but it sticks in your mind. Repetition Gets things into our head and sometimes we have a hard time getting it out. God does that too, actually. He does it here, in fact. In fact, He's done it throughout most of the book of Genesis. If you've been paying any attention at all in the last several weeks or last fall and winter when we talked about Abraham, you know that God gives us the same message over and over again. And I'll go ahead and give it to you. That doesn't mean you can get up and leave, but the message is ultimately, God provides, God keeps his promises, whether his people are obedient or not. And that's the message over and over again. You say, well, why didn't you just send us an email this week that said, read the passage, <clears throat> remember last week, and the week before that, and ditto. Wouldn't that have saved us a bunch of time? Well, but if you're like me, you would agree that every story in the Scriptures has a particular purpose. And if you're like me, you would agree that, that every story is there for a reason. And that reason is, is so that you and I would know our God better. God does repeat Himself because there are things that are important for us to get. For example, let's think about Abraham for a moment. He was given a promise of land, of children, and of blessings. And it took him a while to learn that lesson, didn't it? There were times that he lied. There were times that he disobeyed. There were times that he was fearful and didn't trust God. And so my guess, if Abraham needed to hear that lesson over and over again, Maybe I shouldn't assume that I don't. My first question that I want you to keep in the back of your mind this morning is, do you depend upon God for everything? For every situation in life, for every trial that comes up, do you depend upon God? Or are there some things that you still struggle to try to solve on your own? Does everything that comes at you in life first and foremost, remind you to go to your knees to God. If Abraham and Isaac and Jacob needed to hear that same lesson over and over again, then maybe we do too. That's possible. Jacob in this story this morning is wrestling once again. It appears that he's wrestling with Laban. Again, it appears that he's wrestling with sheep again. Uh, But we'll also see that he really is wrestling with God. He's still, after all this time, after God's continual faithfulness, wrestling with, God, I think I can solve this one on my own. And so let's look at what happens. Um, Jacob's willing to acknowledge God but he's not willing to rely on him. Uh, The story opens and and Jacob, after having all these kids, says, it's time to go back home. I have fulfilled my obligation to Laban. I've worked 14 years as a bride price for my two wives. And now it's time to go back home. So he says to Laban, Laban, give me my wife and my kids. I'm leaving. And Laban says, wait a minute. Hold on a second. You see, Laban's no dummy. Uh, Laban... Knows and understands and tells Jacob, I'm blessed because of you. Would you be willing to stay and work for me? Not only that, you can name your wage. Whatever you want, I'll pay you. Would you be willing to stay and work? And Jacob, tired of being the employee, wants to be the employer for a while and says, Laban, I really would like to start my own business. I really need to go. I want to take care of my own family. I'm tired of working for minimum wage, basically. But what's interesting is they both agree that it is God who has blessed them. They both acknowledge that right out in front. Laban says, I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. Jacob says a little farther down in verse 30, For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But as we continue to look at the story, there's a big difference between acknowledging God's blessing and relying upon God to bless us. And so, my question is do you fall into that category? If I ask you, if we had a poll, how many of you feel that God has blessed you in your business? in your children, in life. My guess is that most of us would raise our hands. Yeah, God's bless me. But how often do we acknowledge that up here, but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, we think, you know, it's really up to me working hard. It's really up to me to figure this out, to solve this puzzle. And how many times do we forget or refuse to get on our knees and pray about those things of life that we need God for. Neither Laban nor Jacob are going to do that at this point in time. Well, Laban doesn't give up. He says again, no, you got to stay. Name your price. And something, for some reason, clicks in Jacob's brain. I don't know what it is, but he says, oh, okay, Tell you what, you don't have to give me anything. And we kind of go, "Why well, doesn't make any sense? You've been working for this guy for 14 years just to pay off getting your wives. I mean, you have nothing to your name. It all belongs to Laban, and now you're willing to work for nothing." And he says, "Do this. I'll take all the striped and spotted lambs, and all the speckled goats." And that will be my wages. A little bit of background. Up. A shepherd in that day could, could be hired out and, and earn wages. In other words, whenever sheep were born, he would get a percentage of the new flock. But never over 20%. Non-white sheep and non-dark colored goats, is what they're talking about here, were usually much less than that. And so Jacob is asking for a whole lot less than what he could have gotten if he had just said, "I'll take 20 percent, or 30, or 50." I think Laban was willing to give him whatever he wanted because he thought, "Well, wherever Jacob turns, we have an abundance, and half of an abundance is still an abundance." But Jacob said, "I don't. Here's what I want." And then he said, "Let me go through and pull out all those sheep, and and those will be mine." The rest will be yours, and we'll be able to tell if I've stolen anything. And Laban says, okay, you've got a deal. And Laban's probably thinking, this is the best thing ever. This guy doesn't want anything. And then Laban does what he's good at. He tricks Jacob. He beats him to the punch. He gets to the flock first and pulls out, we read in verse 35. So he, and that's talking about Laban, so he removed on that day, the striped, the spotted male goats, and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. So he took all these sheep that Jacob said, I'll take, gave them to his sons, and sent them three days away. And says, okay, pasture my sheep. You're working for me. And Jacob looks around and he's going, I got a bunch of white sheep and a bunch of black and brown goats. This isn't what we agreed upon. Now what am I going to do? Well, he doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God, what do I do now? But he does do something interesting. He follows what is, in that culture, a kind of a a magic ritual. He resorts to superstition. He resorts to um, really kind of evil, bale magic. And he takes these limbs and he... Peels part of the bark off and sticks them in the watering trough because the 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 magic goes, whatever the lambs and the goats are looking at when they mate, that will affect conception. That will affect what is conceived. And so if I take these barks of wood and peel and have strips of white, some dark and some white, dark and white, then all these lambs and goats will produce what I'm looking for. No prayer. Just magic. And it works. It seems to anyway. Right? Jacob took these fresh rods in verse 37 and put them in the troughs. And verse 39, the flocks mated by the rods and the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. Well, cool. That's a great deal, right? I mean, we don't have to rely upon God. We can rely upon the the current, what they say in this culture works. And, It appears to work. That's the best thing ever. We go on and we keep reading. And finally in verse 43 it says, So the man became exceedingly prosperous. He had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. And we have these two guys, Laban and Jacob, who even though they acknowledge God, they certainly don't rely upon Him for anything. Laban feels that he's got to trick Jacob and get more wealth for himself. A little aside for a moment. Laban's not a good role model. In fact, after after Genesis, Laban is never mentioned again in the Bible. And the Bible's good at bringing up people and holding them up as role models. Laban's never mentioned again. The reason he's never mentioned again is because he's more concerned about wealth than people. And let that be a great example for us. Let him be a a negative role model. If you ever find yourself thinking that an item or some amount of money is more important than another person, if you ever feel like yourself trying to decide, do I love this person or do I want this item? That item probably has too great of a hold on you. You are following the ways of Laban and as we see, Laban's flocks became feebler and Jacob's became stronger. That trickster, that guy who continued to try to weasel more out of this guy that God sent him, ends up with little. He's not a good role model. When we hunger and thirst after money more than relationships, that's where we'll end up as well. I'm not sure that Jacob's any better. We've seen him throughout the series doing things he shouldn't be doing. Lying to his father. Uh, following after a, a lousy scheme to deceive his brother. Uh, and now practicing magic. Uh, not really taking care of his wives the way he should have. Not being the leader of his family. And yet he ends up blessed. Blessed. <clears throat> Why is that? Well, it's because God decides who He's going to bless. It's really as simple as that. God decides who He's going to bless and He promised Jacob much earlier, I am going to bless you. So, what do we do with this magic business? Well, I said it appeared that it worked. You see, the problem is we get to verse 43 and in in our Bibles there's a chapter break. And it's, Chapter 30 ends and it says big 31 in my Bible and I go, huh, okay, that's a nice, neat story. I don't get it, but that's a nice, neat story. It seems that magic carried the day and God was nowhere to be found. The problem is we can't just always take these passages and rip them out of context and look at them by themselves. Because if we turn over a page and look at chapter 31 beginning in verse 10, we learn something else. Now, remember... Jacob starts out with all these solid white lambs, which is the the normal color for lambs, and all these solid dark colored goats, either black or brown, the normal color for goats. And he's getting them together and they're mating and they're having the right kinds of kids. They're having the right kinds, speckled and striped and spotted. How does that work? I don't know if Jacob and Laban knew anything about genetics or not. But here's what God says is going on beginning in verse 10. And it came about at that time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and spotted. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up now your eyes and see all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and spotted. That word all is very interesting. He's in a dream, and he's looking at all these goats that he's got, that he's taken care of for Laban. And God says, notice that all of them are striped, speckled, or spotted. But they weren't all that way. Laban gave him all the other stuff. And even if it, by this time he had a mixed herd, they weren't all that way. We also learn in 31 that Laban keeps changing his wages. Uh, when Laban sees that he's starting to lose herds, he says, well, let's change from striped to spotted or vice versa. He kept changing the rules. And no matter what Jacob put in the water troughs, those things kept happening. See, in one sense, God is, is opening up the veil a little bit letting Jacob look. Jacob, look. See all those solid white sheep and all those solid colored goats you have? Look carefully. They're really not. Because I'm behind what's going on. They're not all solid color. Now, if we know anything about genetics, we know that that spotted and striped goats are a recessive gene. And if you get two, a male and a female with two recessive genes together, that gene can come out. It's as if God is saying, see, I'm orchestrating who's mating with who, and I'm providing for you, Jacob. We should get that, though. It's subtle, but we should get it. Think back a couple of weeks ago. What were Rachel and Leah fighting over? Mandrakes, right? They thought that those mandrakes had a special quality that would help them conceive. So they were fighting over that. But we learned that Leah, who gave up the mandrakes, continued to conceive. And Rachel, who got them, continued to be barren. That little bit of magic didn't work. And we should have gotten the hint that the cultural norms of that day, the magic that was going on, the superstitions that people had, don't really work. If God is going to bless, He will bless. And if God is going to withhold, He will withhold. And so we come to this passage, we see this little bit of magic, and we think it seems to work, but we've got to keep reading. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is blessing Jacob and God is the one at this point in time now who is hindering Laban. So what do we take home from this this morning? Well, first first of all, a question. What are you trying to do in your own strength, in your own way, with your own abilities, You're not depending upon God. See, Jacob felt cheated again. Rightly so, he was. And he says, I'm stuck. I've got all these sheep that aren't going to produce the right kind of sheep and all these goats who aren't going to produce the right kind of goats. Now what am I going to do? And instead of praying to God and saying, you promised to bless me, now what? He resorts to magic. What do you do when you feel a little stressed, a little pressed? when you feel like you've been done wrong, when you've gotten a bad deal, do you tend to want to rely upon yourself or do you tend to rely upon God? I think that's the the first lesson, maybe the biggest lesson from this. When life throws you a curveball, will you get on your knees or will you try to come up with a new way of handling that on your own? The second thing, we need to be careful that we don't fall into what I call hammock theology. Well, if God's going to bless who He's going to bless, and He's going to curse who's He's going to curse, just get the hammock, lay it up, I'll lay in it, and what will happen will happen. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to participate in what God's about. If He's going to bless me, He's going to bless me. I don't have to work hard. Well, the problem with that is, if, if we back up to the garden, God commanded man to cultivate and to tend. Part of what he's given us to do is to work, to participate in work. And one of the things that Jacob did was he didn't just sit on his duff and wait for God to do something. In fact, he applied, again, I don't know how much he knew about breeding, but he applied very commonsensical natural laws of the way sheep and goats work. If he saw two strong ones, he made sure they got together. And if he saw two weak ones, he made sure they were Laban's. Right? He, he used common practices of breeding sheep and goats to make sure that his were stronger and Laban's were weaker. We can't just sit in our hammock and hope God blesses us, right? If we fail to follow natural laws of economics, then it wouldn't be really any different than us getting up on the roof this afternoon, put up our Christmas lights, fail to secure the ladder, it falls down, and jumping off, hoping that God will overcome the law of gravity. God sets up natural, the world to work in a certain way, and if we go against that, there's no guarantee, unless He's specifically spoken to you, there's no guarantee that He's going to override the natural laws of this world just for your sake. If you do something stupid... You may end up in trouble. We need to remember that. We can't forget that, right? There are consequences for our actions, there always are. God calls us into a relationship, and He expects us to trust in Him, but He expects us to be a part of that relationship. What did Jesus say in the upper room in John 15? I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who rocks in his hammock, no, it's he who abides in me, he who continues that relationship, he who follows me, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. The last thing, because there still may be some questions in your mind, but it appears that Jacob did all the wrong things, and he didn't get nothing. This is not a a health and wealth gospel story. And we need to be careful about how we read our Bibles. We can read this and look at God blessed Jacob, therefore God will bless me even if I do something stupid. But we've taken that out of context. See, God specifically promised Jacob he would bless him. What's interesting is, he did that for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob, and he did that. Did he ever promise unconditionally that he would bless the nation of Israel? No, in fact, he promised they would be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and they were. The promises he gave to the nation had all kinds of conditions attached to them. So we need to be careful that we don't read this and say, God bless Jacob, he's going to bless me no matter what I do, even if I'm an idiot. It doesn't work that way. I'm not Jacob and neither are you unless he's spoken specifically to you about something. We need to be careful what we read. The principle, though, is very important. God keeps his promises even when we're idiots. Even when we do something stupid, if God makes a promise, He will keep that promise. And so you may say, well, what's He promised us? That's a great question. When you read the Bible, you need to be careful of, of where you're reading. Who is the promise to? Is it to specific individuals? Is it to the nation of Israel? Is it to the church? Is it to specific individuals in the church? In the coming weeks, the next three... We're going to talk about three wonderful, marvelous, amazing promises that God made to you and I. One of the reasons we go back into the Old Testament and look at God's character is so that when we get to parts that really specifically apply to you and I, we can look back at these principles and go, yeah, God does keep His promises. So that when we share together these three wonderful, amazing promises over the next three weeks, we can be certain that God will keep those promises to us, to you and I. The specific instance here, God bless Jacob despite him being a knucklehead, is not what we're after ultimately. We're after the fact that despite Jacob being a knucklehead, God keeps his promises. His character is for sure. And Jacob hasn't learned that yet. He's still struggling with that. He's still going to continue to struggle with that. That theme, that message of Jacob, I am your God and I will keep my promises is going to continue to come up over and over and over again in this story. If you're tired of hearing that, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I want us to soak in deeply that truth That God can be trusted. Your God can be trusted. What He has said to us as a church, we can hold on to firmly, securely. We read these stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because those guys aren't any different from us. They do dumb stuff. We do dumb stuff. And we see over and over again... God remaining faithful to Himself. It's not about you and I. And next week, we're going to look very specifically at something that the Incarnation has secured for you and I. And we're going to celebrate communion together. And we're going to take a little bit of Thanksgiving and bring it forward. And we're going to take a little bit of the Incarnation and Christmas and, and mold that together and, and then look off at the cross that we're still several months away from celebrating. And we're going to put all those together in a package and, and, and see that not only has God been faithful in the past, but He remains faithful in the present and He will be faithful in the future. There is something that I'm looking forward to one day when Christ returns that I hope you're looking forward to as well. And the next three weeks, we're going to celebrate some of those things. We're going to celebrate some promises that God did make way back in the past that do apply to us, that we can look forward to in the future as we celebrate the incarnation, as we celebrate Christmas. As we look to Christ coming and dwelling among us. So, yes, we have repeated a few things this morning. We have reminded you of what we've reminded you of all along. As you go out this week, wherever it is that you go, to work, to school, to your neighbor's house, to your room alone, would you remember that there is much to be thankful for? Don't just put Thanksgiving on the shelf even if all the leftovers are gone. Let it sink in a little bit. We are a people who need to be grateful that we have a God who keeps His promises. But I want you to be thinking about Sunday, the last song that we sang. Remembering what God has done should lead us to worship. And that worship should lead us to communion. That song talks about communion in a couple of different ways us as a body together, as we worship God, it should remind you and I that you are part of something bigger. You're part of a body of believers who love and care for you and who, whose life you have a stake in. But also, it should remind us that next Sunday, I want you to think about this during the week, that we will gather as a body and we will partake of the fruit of the vine And the bread as a reminder of of the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift, the ultimate keeping of the promise. Remember the promise he made to Abraham? Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And next week we will celebrate not only the beginning of that fulfillment in Christ coming to earth, but the final fulfillment as he went to the cross. We serve a good God who loves you and cares for you, and He keeps His promises. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your blessings and Your love and Your grace and Your mercy and Your goodness. But God, we also thank You for Your holiness. We praise You that You are perfect and that You have high standards. And we praise You ultimately for the gift of Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May we look at Him. May He be the one who captures our attention. And not the things around us. Not even the riches that captured Laban's attention. Not the things of this world. Not the shortcuts that captured Jacob's attention. Help us through Your Spirit to to set our eyes upon You that we may be changed. And then, God, we ask that You would use us this week in the lives of other people to be an encouragement, to be a, a witness of who You are, a testimony of Your goodness. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.